0: I don't
1: want a
0: pickle,
1: I just want to ride on my motorcycle. Hello everybody and welcome This is the Nokomoto Podcast, episode number 192, I believe. <laughs> it might be 193. Anyway, it's the first episode of season 7 of the Nokomoto Podcast, because this is our first regular format episode returning from mid-Ohio. The event by which we measure all time and space. Which should be no surprise, because if you listen to any other podcast this last week or the last two weeks, whether it be Cleveland Moto, whether it be Louisville Vintage Motorworks, or be Motorcycles and Misfits... And now, Nokomoto, all you've heard is Mid-Ohio, Mid-Ohio, Mid-Ohio. You're fucking sick and tired of hearing about Mid-Ohio. But that doesn't matter because some things significant to the show and for the show and about the show happened and developed there. So we're going to cover those bases. We don't need to bore you with, oh, my gosh, we saw this cool stuff that you didn't see and da-da-da-da-da-da. But we did,
0: and you should come next year.
1: That's true. But basically – so – the president of the Moto One Podcast Network studio raised his voice to me for the first time ever, and he was like, well, I'm fucking sick of hearing about Mid-Ohio. That's a dead-on impression of him, by the way. And... I was like, okay, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not everyone needs to hear about every single little thing, but we're going to hit some real interesting highlights. We're also going to do best worst bike in the world this week. We're going to see if we have time for a Patreon suggested made up motorcycle name, and we've got some new bikes to talk about as well. So geez, where do we start this, this new seventh season swigs? What do you think? Well, let's start it where we always start it. Okay, let's let's take over the world with best and worst bike in the world this week. A little Animaniacs joke in there. Mm-hmm. All right, so. All right, let's do it. It's been a while. It's been a few weeks. Oh, I got to stretch. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to want to open one of these Natter Days from this case we started that we started drinking during the movie commentary that we did last week, the dirt bike kid. If you have not seen, I highly recommend you're only cheating yourselves. There are two scenes in this movie in which a motorcycle gets arrested. It's worth it guys. Okay. So, all right, let me, let me take our uh, Cleveland moto style. ASMR. All right. This is where we are now going to each take a different motorcycle. We don't know what each other have chosen. It's a surprise. You know, it's really just a chance to talk about two different motorcycles that you might not normally talk about. And also a way for us to drum up listener feedback and comment. Hopefully, we will inspire or enrage you. And you will send emails to contact at com. And if you don't, shame on you. So, Swigs, you have best bike in the world this week. I do. Awesome. And are you ready to reveal it? I am. All right, and the best bike in the world this week is the Indian
0: FTR S.
1: Okay.
0: Now, I am, I am I'm I'm going to cheat a little quite well. I'm going to I'm going to cheat a lot here.
1: So, uh, FTR 1200 S.
0: Uh, yeah, well, yeah, basically just, um, the, the lower budget, um, Indian FTR. And I'm picking this, and, and really you could also do this with the Scout 60, um, or other somewhat smaller displacements.
1: I like the Scout 60.
0: I do as well. But the theme I kind of want to touch on here is that the, uh, the winds of time are changing. Oh, yes. There's there's a great uh, I don't know if you've heard but there's there's a war going on right now and there's yeah. also a lot of economic factors that have been many decades in the works that are all coming to fruition.
1: There's a lot of shit happening where I'm like, what year is it? Like oh, like the, the Cold War is back. That's a thing. Like really? A little like, bit. Yeah. The the Ruskies are just drumming up a little trouble over there. Like I. <laughs> It's, it has a very old-timey feel to it. It does. Uh, and there are
0: reasons for that. And it's to do with the economic factors that are coming down the pipe. Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, if you're a big fan of your Liquimali, you should uh, start stockpiling up on it right now.
1: Yeah. I would also isolate brands of Chinese bikes that you like and stockpile on those, too.
0: Yeah so right now we're kind of we're sort of on the cusp of this massive economic shift uh where we may even see the end of globalism as we know it in very short order and the common tropes of you know who's the budget bike maker where are we shipping from? You know, where what are we where's all the, the manufacturing happening? Could change very quickly. You know, as an example, like you know, Congress just passed a bill to reduce or to to give massive subsidies for um, for electronics companies to start making chips in the US. Right. Which is really the first thing that's going that's shifting over because it's a national security issue but in very short order it could also be steel production it could be most of the steel manufacturing all move back over to north america it's not it may not be the united states but it could easily be canada or mexico as well really just kind of all the nafta countries and so i'm i'm picking the ftr in particular not because What we're going to see a lot of in the future is the FTR per se, but I think we're going to start seeing a much broader market and more dominance from FTR kind of flat track style bikes getting exported to other countries as we see that shift happen.
1: I thought you were going to go a completely different route. So I'm fairly confident in about five years this supply of cheap bikes from thailand from china from india will dry up a lot and the way the u.s car industry had to essentially go all right fuck it we're gonna copy the toyota corolla and the honda civic and every american automaker now has budget Econobox box options and they had to change the way they manufactured to meet the reliability with that as well we don't really have economy american bikes right and i thought you were going to say oh this is a switch in the direction where you know there's been up spec and down spec versions of japanese bikes and stuff before and i guess a couple of years ago harley tried to put out like a like a $24,000 version of the electroglide where they just kind of ripped all the extras off of it and were like well you're going to customize it anyway
0: oh i i think in this pick i would say I, I very much expect there to be like an ftr 800 or 750 or even a 600 or a 250
1: at one point and the bodywork kind of gets spec'd down and everything because materials are just going to be expensive. And are we going to see something like the American industry just start specking down its stuff?
0: Well, in the same way that you see a lot of like, like kind of economy midsize street bikes look like things they're not that are popular at the time, you know, kind of how there's a lot of street bikes that look like um, adventure bikes. And there's a lot of street bikes that look like cafe racers. But they're not the street bikes that look like scramblers. I think we're going to start seeing something, you know, kind of like the CB500, but it's going to look like a flat tracker. And I think yeah. that influence is going to start to make its way through the market. And it may be like 10 years down the road, but I think that's the direction we're heading.
1: Okay. So, why is the FTRS especially? Oh, okay. I was just picking the cheaper one. Okay, so just so the best bike in the world this week really is just the cheaper version of whatever, or whatever that's American. But when you put it that way, well, <laughs> <laughs> I uh, yeah. you know what I'm saying though. Yeah, like, kind of spec down bikes. Yeah, I think
0: I think um, kind of more mass produced, modestly priced North American is the direction we're going to see.
1: Okay,
0: and it's—I mean, realistically, it's probably going to be made in Mexico, but it's still going to be in NAFTA.
1: Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. All of this is great news for Harley Davidson. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess you know by extension Polaris as well, but not quite as much. But yeah, um, okay, yeah. I've never really just been a fan of the styling of this bike. I. You know, It's just kind of a standard bike to me. I never really got what all the fuss was a couple of years ago. And I don't think the fuss really came to much either. I don't think they really sold that many. I still haven't. I've seen more Harley Live Wires in the wild than I have Indian FTRs.
0: I don't know if that's true for me, but I have seen more Pan Americas than I have.
1: FTRs. Right. This didn't I don't think this made the splash they thought it was going to. I for a couple of years there it kind of looked like American flat track was really going to take off and then it didn't.
0: Yeah. I mean in fairness, which is sad, I wish it did. In fairness, I still haven't seen a single Triumph Scrambler
1: 1200 in the wild. So They not I don't doing... think they're selling many of those either. <laughs> yeah. Those are a pretty expensive bike. That was a bike really just made for the media. Yeah. Uh, you know. Okay. Um, anything else we want to say about this? Just sort of, yeah, globalization. The the very rare time we're going to bring up anything political. Uh, you know. I, it should be no secret to people that the supply chain's all fucked up. I, anyway. All right, let's move to uh, worst bike in the world this week. Was it ready? Okay. Let me pick one of these in particular, just because I want to actually give a name. Um, okay, this is the perfect one. Here we go. And the worst bike in the world this week is. I'm going to go with the Harley Topper, the the Harley scooter. Okay. Right? But I'm not really talking about specifically that bike, really American scooters in general, but we're going to use the Harley Davidson as our our filter for this, right? Now, I have found this amazing little website here for this museum in Illinois that we've driven by a bajillion times, and we really need to stop and see one of these days. There's another museum like this in Kansas that we've equally driven by 8 million times. So I'm going to put up as many of these pictures on the show notes as possible so you can follow along with this. And I know that a lot of you don't like to listen to us talk about scooters, but trust me, this is something you're going to take a lot of interest in. Because I'm about to attach to this episode a bunch of pictures of some of the fucking wildest designs you've ever seen. It, this shit is off the wall. So what we're looking at is a line of scooters from the turn of the century through the 50s. And like half of them are American and the other half are from Europe. And there's a clear division between the American scooters and the European ones. This is is a little bit of a sore butt thing from the uh, podcast that we did at Vintage Days when... Um, was it the, the Siemens or the Salisbury? I can't remember which, but I was talking about the innovation of the step through sort of European or you know Italian scooter design as a, a big innovation in motorcycles, which besides Johnny Mack mentioning Forks, I think was one of the only specific like motorcycle specific technologies brought up. Um, but you know, I, I went back to it and I thought, let me take a look at this thing. This American scooter that that Uncle Phil decided, you know, predates and was superior to or equal to all the European Italian design stuff. And Phil's just fucking wrong. American scooters, especially pre-war, uh, are garbage. And uh, they're slow and clunky, have almost no features, and they're poorly designed as compared to their others, their, their European counterparts in general. And we've got this whole thing here where we can go through all these pictures of these scooters and we can isolate why European scooters were so much more. Uh, popular. And really what it comes down to is that it's obvious from like the 1920s that Americans just had no fucking respect for the form. I just, just didn't care. So the first one up here, this is, we're looking at the 1962 Suzetta 502, the Czechoslovakian scooter. Now this is very reminiscent of 50s and 60s scooters. They're almost car-like, because remember, people were buying these things because they couldn't afford cars. So kind of the more car-like and automotive your scooter could be, the better. There were a lot of vehicles in the United States and European marketed as the two-wheel car. And this was an idea much more alive in scooters than it was motorcycles. It bled into motorcycles a little bit, but those ended up being things like the BMW C1 and whatever, like, you know, like, or like weird fifties versions of that. But here we've got, I mean, this thing has almost a front bumper. It's, it's, it, it, doesn't have a grill, but it's, it's got a front end kind of like a car, right? You know what I'm saying? Like it's got fenders on the front of it. Well, it's clearly air cooled, and you can see the grates on the back.
0: So there can't be any justification for why that bumper is so big,
1: just to make it kind of more car-like. But they're they're really trying to emphasize the fact that this has got great big wide leg shields. Yeah, and also that it has a sense of luxury about it. It does have a fixed headlight, but I mean, there's lots of there's lots of chrome trim around this thing. There's, you know, you got a luggage rack, you've got a horn, you've got some really nice like bar end levers on this thing. And there's just a sense of some luxury to it, right? Right. As well as comfort and practicality. We've got a luggage rack on the back here for storage. I don't know if there's any internal storage compartment, but with all that space up front, there must be a glove box or something, right? Right. I would hope so, I would hope so, but this is more or less your sort of nineteen fifties scooter layout, right and then here's a picture of a later one uh where we've increased it to you know we've got a spare tire now, we've got uh passenger foot regs we've moved the storage to the front of the thing we we've got a very space age rocket kind of design it's very it's very fashionable. It's very comfortable. You know, uh eight horsepower, 1962. We're doing 50 miles an hour. Um, you know, we're doing pretty good there, right? We've got now the Heinkel Tourist, essentially all the same stuff here again. We've got storage, we've got luggage space, we've got comfortable seating for two, we've got big floorboards, we've got all the scooter things. You've even right? got indicators. And now we get to the 1971 Pack Jack from Wisconsin. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: So this looks like it was designed at a barn. Because it was. Which, okay. That's kind of charming. But
1: um, I have uh, one, I've, I've thought about this thing, and I've thought of a way to describe it. Space farm. Yeah. <laughs> and space farm is the the word that I've come up with to describe all American scooter design. Space farm is sort of what they seem to be going for. So we've got like a Coleman mini-bike front end basically, but then the back has a big fender over it, and there's two wheels one of which has drive to it uh where your feet would have gone is a pull start motor there's a bizarre covering over the top of the motor and the fuel tank this is packed now admittedly hardly any of these were built or whatever but it's sort of reminiscent not reminiscent it's it says a lot about what kinds of scooters were around. This is from 1971. So even by 1971, people had not given up on bad scooter design in the US. It's essentially a mini bike. And but it's worse. I don't know what they're going for here. I mean, I have a lot of bad things to say about mini bike design as well.
0: Well, also something that Americans well, I think the best example of where American scooters show absolutely no respect for the form is the very apparent lack of suspension.
1: Yes, these things are all fucking rigid. So here we've got the 1938 Moto Scoot built in Chicago. Uh, the description here is. says one of the earliest, rarest, and cutest scooters built. Uh okay it's again it's essentially like a Coleman mini bike with like a Razor scooter handlebars and um I feel like if a
0: cop pulled you over on this and you blew a what a 0.15 he'd still give you
1: a pass right it, the only thing is is that the motor is enclosed Underneath the seat, but otherwise, this I what are those even eight inch wheels? Those might be six inch wheels. I don't know. Uh, the fender's kind of cool, but overall, there's no suspension, there's no it has no features. It's just it's little more than a razor scooter that you can sit on with some metal bodywork covering the motor, it's little more than that. And by this time, Europe was making full-on luxury scooters. Okay, so let's be a little bit nicer and look at the 1960 Harley Topper. Well, it's got the front leg shields, but it really falls short with the floorboards. The controls aren't very good. The passenger pegs are just like motorcycle-style pegs coming out the front, like your passenger doesn't deserve floorboards. There's no storage, as far as I can tell. Right? It does have wide-leg shields, and I think the majority of them came with these windshields, which I... I wonder if that's the same windshield that I got so, with my Lambretta, but
0: you know, with the way that the body narrows and it kind of takes, you know, it's got the pegs instead of the normal floorboards for the driver. It kind of looks like it was taking inspiration from the, um, from the Vespa moped, mm-hmm. but then decided to just not give you the pedals. Right. Because it, it must, even though it's more material, it must be actually less work to just put the platforms in than to form and shape it to remove them. Yeah. Why wouldn't you want the platforms?
1: I don't know. It's, I don't know, this isn't a very good picture of it either, but but it's probably the best American scooter, weirdly. The Harley Topper, one of the most hated things ever, apparently. But what... Okay, so moving down, we've got the 1957 Zundap Bella. Now, this is just a pure work of art. We've got a a moving front fender, so it's a little more motorcycle-esque there. We've got proper suspension here. Well, I say proper, but um, we've got again, nice wide leg shields. we got this, you know, the horn cover up front, that very scooter thing. We've got mirrors and, and all these things, but like, look at the, the two-tone bodywork with the red seat. Look at the removable panels on the side, the, the, the slim style of it, the, the, the controls, we've got foot pedals and, you know, levers here. We've got a 200cc engine. This thing does 60 miles an hour. Those have got to be 12-inch wheels. We got lights. We don't have turn signals, but that was pretty rare in general. But this is this bike is a
0: great example, actually, because there is an American mo- model of this.
1: The Zundap Suburbanette. Oh, right. That's right. They did a cut down of it, basically. Yeah, and which where they totally americanized it. They took off all the luxury features, they took off all the storage, they took off everything because I don't Americans I guess just were in love with crap scooters. Yeah, we just yeah, we
0: basically just took everything nice off of it and decided that's what we'll go with.
1: I I don't know why. There's just a problem with American scooters. And then here we go. Look, the 1957 Triumph Tessie. Now, this is a German company Triumph, not the Triumph that you're aware of. But this is a real oddball-looking thing. Um, This was not super fast. I'm going to guess these did about 40 miles an hour. It's a 125, two-stroke, three-speed. So think kind of like slower Vespa kind of stuff. But, man, what a design look at the the luxury in the design itself. Look at those seats, look at the grips. Look at you know all this stuff. Look at that cus you know that that completely unique front storage rack. Even
0: just the side covers is like all this bespoke stuff.
1: Yeah, look at the stripes on the paintwork. you get so much extra it's clearly the the form of transportation is taken seriously. Right. Mm-hmm. And as a result, it's it, it's something to take pride in and more people are gonna ride. You know, this okay, this next one's one of the most extreme examples. The the Markle Mobile nineteen fifty five. They they've put so they've they've sacrificed some of the comfort and the the room for your legs by putting the motor or storage up front. I want to say it's the motor. Kind of in front, in between your legs there, and then the um, the at the back there. That's a big trunk that lifts open on the side, and there's massive amounts of storage on this. You've got a windshield total. You have a dashboard on this with a bunch of instruments. You've got turn signals. You have a chrome bumper. This is big headlights. This
0: the best way I could describe this scooter is it's like a cross between like George Jetson's flying car and a victory vision in a scooter form factor.
1: Yeah. And the thing is wild. There's no way to look at this thing and not smile. If, if, if this, if your neighbor had one of these, you'd be like, okay, I got to drive it up and down the street. This is not scooter embarrassment. This is look at this crazy contraption and every, this would bring joy to your entire neighborhood. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But, unheard of in America. Instead, we had to have things like the 1946 doodle bug. Uh, so this is for children, right? I, uh, I don't know. Um, it's, I, this is even le- this is somehow less than a Coleman mini bike. I, I feel like this has straight up bicycle handlebars. And when I say bicycle handlebars, I mean pre-war bicycle handlebars, like the ones that wrap around and, like, the handles face backwards towards you. I'm going to guess a lot of bicycles had more substantial, like, steering head
0: bearings than this thing does.
1: You've got a throttle and a front brake on this fucking thing, and that is it. And what looks like a lawnmower engine? Yeah. Now, this has a floorboard, I guess, but... Otherwise, it's it's the razor scooter like mini bike kind of design. The I, biggest the biggest
0: theme I've seen throughout all the American scooters so far so far is a fixation on the beer cooler engine compartment
1: aesthetic. Right, because again, like look, it, they've decided to put some some sheets like bend some sheet metal into like a curvy shape to put over the engine underneath the seat. Again, it's space farm, right? Right. I, I don't, even the Harley topper is space farm, you know? Um, here we go. The, the, um, France's big contribution to, to small displacement, um, yeah, this is really France's super cub, the motor mobilette. We did a whole best bike in the world on these things. And like after the super cub, these are a big unsung hero in worldwide sales. I, we don't have enough time to go into this. Um, this next one, I want to leave out as well. The 1961 Victoria 115, which is also from Germany. This is really more of a motorcycle. I, this isn't scooter for me. Um, here we go. The 1949 Indian Style Master. Because did you know Indian made a scooter as well? Uh, I guess there's only like a couple of these. This is more of a prototype or anything. But again, Space Farm. Uh, it's, it, it's the same as the others. They're I like, have to Let's imagine. Let's make a slightly different shaped cover to put underneath a minibike frame.
0: I, like At this point, I have to imagine that there are a significant number of like bird scooters with more sophisticated front ends than
1: these scooters.
0: Yes, like, like, absolutely. Like actual stand-up scooters.
1: Mm-hmm. Maybe even some Razors. Now we're getting into something that is... Again, this is kind of Harley Topper-esque. The 1938 Cushman Autoglide. Now, this is a little bit unfair because Cushman may have made some stuff better than the Harley Topper. They may have made some, some, but they were still that kind of design. It wasn't uh, a real frame or a real monocoque. Everything's somewhere halfway in between. And the motors are very agricultural and unsophisticated. And again, this thing's just very basic. But I think this is a little bit brutal because I can think of much better Cushman models than this. But this is where it all started. 1938 Cushman Autoglide. Um but you know these things are slow, these things are heavy, these things are they're they're it's not a nice experience. Um Again, here we go. 1916 the Autoped from New York. This claims to be the world's first production scooter. Um I Again, Space Farm. I I could have come up with this. Like, this is the first production scooter, and it shows. And then this is the one, the Salisbury. That nineteen forty-seven Salisbury. That's made in California. That um, that Phil decided to to take me to task on. Now, it's okay. We've got some storage. We we do have a pretty luxurious seat on this. I think the uh, the the leg shield concept kind of falls apart on this one. The aerodynamics of this look as if it's designed to actually whip wind into you rather than keep the elements of the road off of you. But it is nonetheless something to be seen on and a luxurious design. But I argue that this is not a great model for mass production which is really what the Italians brought to the game.
0: Yeah. um, Yeah. I can't imagine that leg shield actually working.
1: I like this floating bumper. I do like that. That's something that I, I'm sort of like, huh, I wonder why that isn't a bigger part of more modern machines. That is the cheapest, most effective and kind of space age, cool way to do a bumper. I
0: wonder if it's actually fiberglass, and that's why they're doing it. If uh, the, the bodywork is fiberglass.
1: It wouldn't surprise me. But nonetheless, it is cool, the The Salisbury. It's, it's an effort in the right direction, but somehow doesn't pull it off as well. I, I think as a daily writer, like I'd choose the Zundap over this a million times in a row, right?
0: Yeah. This this looks like it's more about being an unintimidating step-through bike than the storage capacity, the the low cost of manufacture, using lo- as much stamped metal as possible. It this it, it is vaguely in the correct shape, but I don't think it follows any of the design philosophies of like the press steel frame.
1: Classic. I mean even the tube frames of of the Lambrettas and stuff it, it it's yeah it's it's very cool it misses the mark a little bit but it's very cool I'd be happy to own one I'll be kind to this um I'd I'd love the ability to carry a passenger and for the passenger to have floorboards I, you know like if it's if it's the post war era you know um There's a lot more women than dudes riding around. Um, You you really need a place to sit your girlfriend, right? That's kind of a big deal, especially in rural America, and you got to get places and – right? Just saying – and then, um, the last one here we got a French scooter, which is uh, very similar to to the Zundaps and the other stuff. We got our two floating saddles. We've got a little glove box. We've got a storage rack on the front. We got our bumper. This one nicely has a handlebar mounted headlight. But again, lots of luxury, lots of swoops. Um, lots of bodywork design ideas stolen from Lambretta. But nonetheless, that European design that really nails it. This one's a little more weird-looking than some of the other just straight-up beautiful scooters. And you'll notice that none of the British scooters were on this, because they are all an aesthetic disaster, as well as reliability disasters. (laughs) There's not a Triumph Tigress on here, or uh, what's the Vincent scooter? The Vincent... um, uh, I can't remember, but anyway, um, yeah, just wanted to fire back a little bit on on what I said. Uh, American scooters in general have just always been a huge shit show. I know there's like Jake or whoever is Mini Bike Reunion, and there's people that enjoy these old Coleman mini bikes, and there's a there's a little bit of a cult of Cushman and Harley Topper people. But let's uh, – like to this day, everyone in the U.S. thinks scooters are girly, dumb, unpractical for wusses or whatever because it appears by the 1940s, Americans just decided to say instead – of, instead of admit they were making bad scooters, just do the typical thing of like, well, who cares? They're fucking gay anyway.
0: It is basically like 80 years of sour grapes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If this design hadn't all been so bad from America to begin with, I think. I mean, there's a lot of these old scooters that are just super cool looking. I mean, if you love the swoopy bodywork of Indian motorcycles from this era and Harley Davidsons from this era. And um, like Cleveland motorcycles from this era or what's the other big one that um, everyone really misses Uh, like Curtis and all that like that was in scooters in spades. There is cool 50s swoopy bodywork in a bunch of just German and French scooters that puts American design from this era to shame. You know, you want something that really looks 1950s and like 1950s in the way that like 1950s Porsches look right
0: mm-hmm.
1: that that really kind of space age slash bulbous, but yet also sleek you know, thing like it is all over the place. And I, I think they're cool. I think they're super awesome. Let's not pretend they're fast. A lot of these things are topping out at 40 miles an hour. 45 some of them are doing a legit 50 60 though even in the 50s and this is an era when a lot of cars really couldn't break 60 65 even so you know in the context of their time they're not slow or dumb or girly or impractical just for whatever reason in the united states no effort was put in whatsoever I, I don't get it. Uh, it is missed opportunity, but there you go. Worst bike in the world this week for the, for the missed opportunities alone.
0: So neither of us picked a bike this week.
1: I know we both cheated. Well, I did. We did at least name a specific model that represents all the things we're talking about. So, you know, mm. the FTRS and the Harley topper, I think are, are good models to go with. Um, all right, so let's give a let's talk a little bit about Let's take vintage. a quick break here. Quick break. All right, let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Okay, as we said last year when we started this segment, we have to start with three words. Mid-Ohio, Mid-Ohio, Mid-Ohio. If you don't know, then you don't know. But if you know, you know, I I could have gone to Sturgis for a day or two, but I was like, you know, I don't want to be disappointed after going to mid Ohio. I I just don't know how it could be as good. So we uh, if you've listened to Cleveland Motors breakdown, we we did up our game this year. We rented an RV and a U-Haul trailer. We showed up with a shit ton of bikes and somehow managed to leave with even more. And a lot of people would have seen all the bikes that we showed up with and thought, oh, you have no more room for bikes. But we somehow managed to do it. Uh, So so we got there early. We got our press passes. Not only did we buy bikes this year, we sold a bike as well. That's true. Yeah, we really did. We we did the true mid-Ohio wheeling and dealing. Uh, So we showed up. We... Uh, so we, we left with one more bike than we came with, but um, it was you, me, Claire, and Cam in the RV driving across the country. We picked up Dr. Mike. Uh, uh, he Ubered from the airport to the nearest Costco, where we loaded up with supplies and then headed into mid-Ohio. And man, we were rolling thunder. Across the country, because we got a 12-foot U-Haul with, what, another five feet of tongue on it, probably? Thereabouts, yeah. Attached to a 28-foot RV. It was a big rig rolling down the road. And this was one of those old—you've seen them, the RV America or something America— uh you know the rvs that have the big like maps of states on the side of them like the big rv it's basically the biggest
0: r the biggest rv cab that you could possibly get on an e350 chassis
1: right but you've seen the rvs from this one specific rv rental company oh yeah um Cruise America. Cruise America. This was a retired Cruise America. So when when the Cruise America RVs hit like 150,000 miles, they sell them off for like 11 grand or something or no no it's more than that it's like 80 grand or whatever but they they sell them for like a third of their original co- uh, you know MSRP when they hit like 150,000 miles so this thing had like 180,000 miles i don't think it was i
0: know i think it was it was like 130
1: it was a uh, lot it was over 100,000 i think it was getting close to 180,000 but anyway uh the the suspension on this thing was not as great as day 1 but, you know, it it pulled a little to the left. But overall, I was pretty happy with it. It was in good shape. The cab was in really great shape. The steering was a little floaty. Yeah, but, but yeah, it, it was wasn't a- terrifying to drive. or any- Well, it was kind of terrifying at night to drive. But it was fine. <laughs> and we drove this thing nonstop. And I highly recommend this to people. If you – for the first few hours you're in it – It's sort of like flying in a plane with turbulence. It really takes you a couple minutes just to be able to relax and just go, look, I know whoever is driving this thing up front is not like even if we swerve like, you know, eight inches back and like they're not just flying off the road. It really takes some effort to turn this thing and it catches so much wind. But once you learn to just relax, you can just sleep. While you're going down the road. I took a shit while we were going down the road. Uh, you know, we were getting up and getting beers out of the fridge. I, on the way back, I considered taking a shower. I, <laughs> yeah. I really did. Uh, it was great. I, I totally, I, I once you learn to relax with sort of the float of the thing, I, I thought it was kind of like flying first class. I was like, I can yeah. get up and stand up whenever I want. I can play whatever music. Um, the
0: only thing I would say is that if you're, like, 6'2 or taller, you will not be able to get into the driver's seat except through the driver's side door.
1: Oh, uh, yeah. Because
0: in order to get all, in order to maximize the space, the the front seat
1: doesn't um, slide at all. And yeah, I mean, but if you're tall, you could get in and out of the passenger seat from the back while you're rolling down the road. Uh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, without the steering wheel there and being able to lift up the armrests and everything, you're good. Yeah, but, like, if you were to trade off as a driver, like, you couldn't just pull over on the side of the road
0: and, like, just one person gets out and the other person swaps in. You'd have to get out of the cab. You'd have to get out of the back of the RV, like, through the door and walk around.
1: Yeah. Now, if you and I had been driving... I think you and I would have been able to hit the cruise control and pass off the driver's seat without actually stopping. There are times, well, I mean, there were a couple times where I was driving, everyone was asleep or whatever. And I thought, let me just like stand up here and hold the wheel. And I was like, yeah, I could totally like, yeah, (laughs) we could totally pass this off. No problem. Anyway. So we get to mid Ohio is all great. Uh, As we're, as we got there, No shit. We got there. Us, Cleveland Moto, and Motorcycles of Misfits all got there within five minutes of each other. Yeah. We were all waiting in line, all picking up our press passes, everything at the same time. It was great. So we all arrived. We all set up. We all do everything. Same place we were last year. Everyone's there. Uh, It's fucking fantastic. In fact, while I was waiting to get our press passes, Haley Bell recognized me from AIM. She's like Peter I was like, oh shit who's that I was like oh shit I think it's haley and um everything's everything's going off there's all the craziness that we told you about last year and we don't need to retread how awesome the barrel racing is we don't need to talk about the wall of death we don't need to talk about how you can go everywhere we don't, we don't need to talk let's just hit some highlights here so I feel that we hit a new level that it takes a lot of people decades to attain this year where you know liza was still talking a lot about winning the burnout competition and i feel like you know i talked a lot about going this year and being like no one's going to be able to top my burnout which i still think there's a very strong argument that nobody has Contrary to what Liza's saying, um, we'll, 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 we might be able to dig into that later. I mean, whatever. I think we are at the point where each of the podcasts did something this year to sort of transcend the normal experience at Vintage Motorcycle Days. So the Cleveland Moto Crew were up to their usual antics. On the second night, or was it the first night? Was it Thursday that Phil put that hole in himself? I thought it was Friday, but it could have been. I thought it was
0: Friday that Friday evening he did it. But maybe uh, not. It's hard to know, but
1: Phil, <sighs> Phil, in a in a very Harley Rider esque sort of way, blamed punching this gigantic hole in his leg like he gave himself a new asshole and he blames it on the placement of a kill switch sounds like a little case of the harley rider having to layer down to me might be user error might have been i i don't know but you know what it feels a very accomplished rider uh, you know just I I'm just going to put it down to just things weird shit happens at mid ohio. Uh, that's what I'm putting it down. I
0: will to. say almost universally dirt bikes do have really shitty kill switches.
1: Well that's true. Yeah, they're always like sunbaked and grimy and gross. Yeah. But uh hold on. Ugh, there's no way to talk about mid ohio without an natter days in my hand. Um so Like early on, Phil cut a huge hole in himself and, you know, and Dr. Mike told him many times, go to the hospital. Claire told him to go to the hospital. Everyone told him to go to the hospital. He went to urgent care the next day and it was fine. It's kind of like, you know, have you ever been to like a wild party? Someone gets arrested, then gets bailed and shows back up to the party the same night. (laughs) And there was kind of an air to that. Phil was not going to let this stop him. But, you know, Phil, Phil kind of fizzled out early, but nonetheless, the rest of the crew really stepped up and Johnny Mac started a new vintage motorcycle days tradition. He became the bourbon fairy, which I I guess they've been talking like Dustin was like, these, these idiots have been talking about this for years. It's taken them like five years to put this shit together. (laughs) which is both impressive and depressing because the bourbon fairy is Johnny Mac who's a large man putting on like light up fairy wings a tutu and then holding like a garden chemical sprayer filled with like watered down booze
0: it was just like a hand pump weed killer like bottle
1: yeah it was like it was like you know when you go and there's the there's like three different kinds of roundup you can buy there's like the hand spray bottle then there's the one with the little wand and then there's like the canister with the big wand you know when you're feeling really good about yourself and really serious about your yard maintenance it was one of those filled with (laughs) (laughs) booze And he would just kind of magically walk through the campgrounds and people would be like, what the fuck is this? And he'd be like, I'm the bourbon fairy. (laughs) (laughs) And like people would open their mouths and from like three feet away, just blast shit into them. (laughs) But uh, so Friday night, weirdly, was like the wildest night, right? And there was this great moment where... The burnouts are happening. I had somehow taken place of the captain. I don't know how this shit works, but I got wrangled into duty. And for Friday night, I was hosting what I'm pretty sure was the wildest burnout competition on the planet to ever happen. Uh, I, I, the, we had better individual performances last year. But just the absolute insane, like nonstop chaos of this year. Because everyone felt from last year they had to step up their game a little bit. But when everybody is just 10 or 15% more, like, whoa. And it is a difficult thing to control a drunk, rabid crowd. I'm pretty sure that
0: cancer rates went up as a result of this year's Oh my god, the amount of
1: rubber that just became part of my legs. Uh, oh, <laughs> fuck. So you'll find video of me doing this earlier in the day and a couple videos late at night if you want to Google, like, mid-Ohio mayhem or whatever.
0: Like, if you were downstream, uh, if you were downwind of the tire, like, at the time, for some of them, like, it was like a mustard gas attack.
1: Oh my like, gosh. Yeah. It was Everyone, brutal. people were going around in circles doing three or four burnouts until uh, there was this one guy with this scooter that was, he was just determined to break the scooter. He just couldn't, yeah. People were recognizing me all over the place, like, it's Naked Burnout Guy. Be, so I was hosting the burnout competition and then people would roll up. And I'd put the microphone in their face and they'd be like, wait, you're the guy. Yeah, I'm the guy. What's your name, sailor? Right. And but the crowd was rabid. Oh, my God. The crowd was rabid. So this thing happens when people are drinking that they just want to be part of the event so badly. So if you're not familiar with how a burnout works – Normally, you'd be in a parking lot somewhere about to injure yourself or try to impress a girl or something. You hold your front brake in as hard as you can. You put it in first gear, second gear, whatever you want to do. You give it a shitload of revs, and then you let the clutch out slowly, 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 and then dump it at the end. And boom, you break traction, and your, your front brake is holding the bike still while the back wheel just spins out. Right? Now, if you're in a burnout competition, usually there's going to be some sort of wooden board on the ground for your rear wheel to spin on, just to kind of get a higher accuracy of this stuff happening, not need to hold the bike as still. And sometimes there'll even be a front wheel chalk. Well, as an extra bit of I can't believe I'm saying the safety. Some people will opt to have a friend hold their front handlebars, especially if they're doing this on a smaller bike or on grass or something, say, and you know, or maybe it's just a shitty bike with, you know, or something like a, like a, like a Vespa that has a shitty front brake that won't actually hold the bike still. But with every person coming up to do these burnouts, like five people would try to hold the handlebars of the bike still And they would be pushing the bikes backwards off the burnout board. And then on top of the hot rubber, there's rocks and gravel just spraying the crowd. (laughs) And I would have to cut like every other burnout short because people were just getting pelted with rocks behind. And I'd have to tell these people that they're not fucking running this show. I'm running this show. And how about we get some real fucking burnouts, right? And at one point I had to stop the whole thing. I had to demand that everyone take a few steps back. And then I gave this big speech about did we or did we not come to see real fucking burnouts or did we come to see rank amateurs fall off the board, people have no idea what they're doing trying to run the shit at the front, and just generally piss everybody off. And I said, the next bike that comes up here needs to fucking come correct, get on the board cleanly, and let's not push them the fuck off. And then everyone cheered. Right. <laughs> it's like, because it being like going off the rail, like, and oh, it is. And, and we're talking what at this point, Friday night, like, usually you would say two, 300 people around the pits. We were building to like four, 500. I mean, it was just a sea of drunken people everywhere. Uh, and then, in the middle of all this, all of a sudden, here comes Haley Bell uh, of of women writers world rally fame on a Benelli, um, TT one, three, five with her evil Knievel outfit and Liza trying to pump up the crowd and she does her burnout and it's, and I give her, you know, cause like the crowd didn't know who the fuck she was, but I build her up. I'm like, everybody, it's Haley Bell for more you know, the first lady of motorcycling, let's let it roar, you know, and everyone's like, yeah, going and, um, and this is, I think, what Liza claimed. Like one, it was great. It was fine. But then, like the next thing I know, Johnny Mac appears from the other side, and I'm like, "Ladies and fucking gentlemen, we've got the Bourbon Fairy," because I hadn't seen it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what they had been mentioning the bourbon fairy, but I didn't actually know what it was. So like, whilst there's a burnout happening, I'm like, hit me. And he's spraying bourbon into my mouth. He's spraying into the mouth of the person doing the burnout. Like it's, it was just peak fucking crazy. And that was just Friday. Yeah. And the night before that, someone had to get airlifted out because of a golf cart accident. There was that as well. It it started with a lot of energy this year.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, just to to keep on the, on, uh, you know, kind of personal growth here. And
1: also. Well, well hold on. And right on the, before you do that, I would say on the burnouts as well. Well, I was saying we we're transcending and starting to add to the event, right? So Liza um, really had a lot going on this year with the seminars. Yeah. Like adding content to it. Um, you know, we, we became a, a more involved part of the Kentucky Corner and, you know, and they started the new tradition of the Bourbon Ferry, right? Which is, you know, just like we look forward to the barrel racing and, you know, they repeated the metal concert in the auxiliary uh, camping grounds this year and the burnout took it to another level. And Liza was still thinking of it in terms of winning and losing, and I think we've all transcended to a higher level of now really becoming a part of the event and adding to it. Mm-hmm. So I'm much more focused on next year, rather than winning, trying to come up with ways that really add to the event. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Winning and losing, I think Liza needs to drop this whole winning and losing part of it. That's not, that's not the right way to look at it, I don't think. But anyway, you were saying... Oh, I was just going to say,
0: we got Mike to do his first burnout. And Claire. Oh, and Claire, yeah. I did
1: the first burnout of the entire weekend. They were were really looking for someone to step up and do it. So I took uh, Cam's ridiculous ultimate pit bike that he'd been building. um, Which was... It started life as an SSR125 that he put a different motor into with a hotter carb i believe nos custom uh he put crf 50 bodywork all over it and um didn't it have like kz 110 forks or something on it uh yes it had 110 inverted forks on it yeah so it was like adult height but the but crf 50 sized bike with a 125 motor with Nos and his and these custom graphics that we made that just had all fucked up sponsors so it was like Nodos, White Castle, like Pornhub, Bud Light, like Harbor Freights, just all the all the fucked up things you can think of amazing. Um but yeah, Mike did a did a, a burnout on his Stella and Claire did one on her Vespa. Um Mike really hit it at peak craziness Saturday night. Uh, Claire was kind of early on before there was too much of a crowd, but but that was still a big deal. That's not her scene. So, like, Hmm. big props to Claire. Also, when Mike
0: did it, he was also kind of in just this – he was being a little full of himself to begin with, like, this is such a ridiculous thing, but okay, I'm here for the experience. But by the end, like he was really proud of himself. Oh yeah. You have to be. Yeah. <laughs> you, there's no way that you can like get out of that and not just think like that was that was wild.
1: Well, he pulled up on the Stella, and again, it's the it's it was at about as big a crowd as it ever had been on Friday night or any other mm-hmm. time. Cause Saturday night you just can't stop. It's it's gonna be crazy. And Whenever, whenever the crowd's really going, and you pull up to do a burnout, someone will offer you a beer or cigarettes or something. Well, or, you might not be able to refuse. And yeah, your hands you might, are yeah. occupied as well. It's true. But at, the, at first, he was <laughs> like, "Your only no, choice no, 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 is how no, 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 much no, goes no.
0: down your throat and how much spills down your shirt."
1: Yeah, at first he was like, "No, no, 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 no I don't need it." And then he thought about it for a second, and he was like, "Yeah, I'll give it to me." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so good. Um, so this year we did, but you didn't do the lap of history cause you were bikeless for a little while. Yeah. And next year you need to do the lap of history. So we took, uh, the gyro cause I, I took delivery of my Honda gyro at this event. Oh, people loved the gyro. So we took the gyro, the, the Lambretta 59 series one Lambretta the Stella, and the Vespa for the lap of history. So this is where you get to do like two or three laps of the mid-Ohio race course. Well, they said it was two laps, but they extended it to three. And I think that was because I was going pretty slow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But so – uh, not Wayne Rainey. Um, 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 what's his face? Oh my gosh! What? Um, um I'm not gonna help you. Kevin Schwantz. There we go. So Kevin Schwantz was sort of the master of ceremonies at this event. So he was leading the laps around, right? So basically, it's to like ride with Kevin Schwantz like around a racetrack. Pretty fucking sweet. At ten dollars, I say a steal. Everyone calls this the Nada race. This is another thing that Liza claimed to have won. Uh. Uh, she had like 400 cc's on any other bike there. Um, But whatever. Uh, I felt like I won just because the scooter made it around personally. But I'll tell you what, Cam rode the gyro and at at big corners were, because what happens is there's all these vintage races, right? And then in between the races, people do these parade laps of just riding their weird motorcycles around because there's racing happening all day. And so there's just a crowd that's sitting there waiting for the next race to start. So Cam would go around these big corners and just like lay on the horn and turn the windshield wipers on and the turn signals on the gyro. And like they just get huge applause from people. <laughs> I got a couple like way to go. You did it like polite claps from people because um, the carburetor on the... So first of all, the Lambretta... Rode a lot better than I expected it to. Clearly, it was never jetted for altitude. It ran a lot better down there. There There's some rough starts. There's some rough starts, but it always started. You know, it might have taken like a bunch of kicks, but it always started on the kick, and it would. You know, it went everywhere I asked it to go. I never had to push it back to camp but it was getting bogged down with way too much fuel there's something fucked up with the carb like it would keep getting stuck or whatever and i would have to just pull in the clutch and just like let it let it burn some gas for a little while and then rev it back up get in the power band work my way back up through all the gears get up to you know 32 miles an hour again or 36 or whatever the gps told me i hit 36 and then it would start bogging down again, and I'd have to, like, go down to a walking pace and let it just burn fuel and then build up again. So everyone else did three laps when I did two. But I came back in with everybody else. So I was doing two-thirds average speed of this whole thing, which I feel is pretty good. So if Liza wants to claim that she won the a race – when we're talking an average speed of 45 miles an hour. <laughs> like, okay, Liza, you won. <laughs> you can have it. I argue that Cam won it in the gyro, honestly. But anyway, that was great. As you pull in, you get to do like a fist bump with Kevin Schwanz too. Really, <laughs> really awesome. He just stood there and like shook everyone's hand or did whatever or said hello or congratulations or whatever to every single person. Super duper cool. Now, Swigs, you returned with a new motorcycle. I did. What did you get? How? Why? Because it's a a curious choice. I think it's a really cool bike, but it's not what a lot of people would have gone for.
0: Uh, Yeah. So I got a 1972 CL70. Uh, and it's in damn near perfect condition. Cosmetically.
1: It's good. Yeah. There's a couple little things, but way better than you'd expect.
0: Yeah. Way better than a lot of CT nineties are being sold for. That's for sure. Um, but it's so, uh, well, so I got it to replace the scooter. So I wanted something small displacement, something street legal. Um, it was pretty cheap. I got it for 2500. Um but it, it's also just a little bit of that kind of CL aesthetic. It's not quite like a CL 300 or a 250 or you know any of the other bikes with high pipes, you know. It's it's significantly smaller. It's got that weird like bottle opener frame on it. If you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, it's it's a it's a step up from like a CT seventy or 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 an ST or whatever, but it's definitely smaller than. I mean, well, it's it it's a Honda Cub Scrambler, is what it is. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But I I just wanted something kind of classic like that, um, and it was also four stroke, which was a big plus.
1: Yeah, it's that Honda 70 flat motor. Yeah. So it has no like power advantage, but it's more of a real motorcycle frame. Uh, personally, I would have gone for maybe like an S90, a more road-oriented one. But, I mean, it's still a cool bike. I'm
0: glad you're happy with it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, at a certain point, though, because cause we brought one of dad's bikes to sell, and then – the the bike that he told us was in perfect shape to sell all of a sudden wasn't and it was like fuck so we had to sell that thing cheap and then we were short a bike well kind of short well no we still had bikes but at a certain point it was like well we
0: we're do riding, need to have we're,
1: we're riding this lambretta and the gyro and everything a lot and it's we needed, not always ideal we
0: did need four reliable bikes to ride around which by the end of the first day, we definitely didn't have.
1: Uh, well, no, again, like the Lambretta, I could get to start and go whenever we needed to go somewhere. Um, I rode the Lambretta a lot because the, the most unreliable bike was Cam's pit bike until he finally put the new carburetor on that I told yeah. him he should have done from the very fucking get-go. So,
0: so by reliable, I do mean that like any of us could walk up and start it. Well, was definitely not the case at the well, time. Well,
1: I I argue that Claire's Vespa started every time. Sometimes it was like 10 kicks or whatever, but good. I argue the Lambretta was the same. The Gyro was a fucking hero. The Gyro was
0: uh, also new. Yeah. Uh
1: but. Mike's scooter was okay. It was really the 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 175 and Cam's pit bike that led us down hard. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean which would have been a, which was kind of a shame cuz that I would have loved to have just ridden like the that CT175 around mid Ohio the whole weekend. Yeah. Cuz that's it was such a fantastic bike. Yeah, it's true. It's and it's the perfect environment for it.
1: Yeah. I mean, at 175, it was almost too big for for mid-Ohio, but it just, it wouldn't start reliably. And it was like, fuck. Like, even if we could get it started on the second day, it was like, I'm not taking this thing all the way over to the swap meet and then have to fucking walk it back. Fuck that. Yeah. So, again, speaking of the gyro being a hero, um, another argument that I have that we've really transcended the event is that. Tales of our accomplishments are grossly overestimated for the dramatic. So I other podcasts people have been like, Oh, yeah, that Honda Gyro was everywhere. Pete never stopped riding it. Oh, I think he crashed it like four times. Like, oh my god, like, uh, did he crash it barrel racing? I don't know. Was he barrel racing with it? Yeah, like I mean, but Yes, I barrel raced it. Like, but I only did like 10 laps. Um It's sitting in my garage with no scratches on it. I don't know where all these like people are like Pete flipped the gyro. No, I didn't. Cam did drop it. But it was in the mud.
0: It was I I,
1: yeah. I I power washed the whole thing like it's fucking fine.
0: Yeah. There's
1: I, I could still sell it like it's new. I don't understand where this carnage, these tales of carnage, are coming from. Um. So I did see I did see the
0: a gyro X there.
1: Um. That might have been it because last year someone fucked up a gyro X really bad, and someone else had a gyro X this year that I think. Someone that, definitely
0: came off the barrel racing track on a gyro X.
1: Well, that was last year. Oh, Did last they do year, it yeah. again this year?
0: No, I was talking about last
1: year. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I wonder if that's it. If people were confusing that other one, but it was great too. Uh, so the the big Honda gyro guy at Mid Ohio, John Coe, shows up. Was it Sunday or Saturday? I think it was Saturday. Yeah, he shows up, and I was like, John, I I told you that I couldn't buy that that gyro up from you last year because I really wanted a canopy and. And now, you know, it wasn't just like a bullshit negotiating tactic. I, I really did want one. And he's looking at it and he's like, yeah, this thing's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> and there's just – I think we had some podcast listeners there at the same time and just never before or again shall a Honda Gyro be so in- admired as with this many people. But um, again, in transcending these events – I think the gyro may have had one of the ultimate burnout pit moments. So I did try to do a burnout with it, but because it's got a differential, it just doesn't have enough power splitting it between the two wheels to, to make that happen. So what I did was on, was it Friday night? I think Phil was like, Hey, here's, here's the Cleveland moto card. This has been loaded up with a shit ton of Patreon money. Can you take the gyro into town and get 10 large pizzas? And I was like, fuck yeah, I can. <laughs> so I so I rode out and got 10 large pizzas and brought them back. But only like seven of them got eaten. So no, this was – yeah, this was definitely on Saturday after the rain I think because then on – Saturday night, there's still one of those pizzas hanging around, right? <laughs> and No, no, it rained Friday, didn't it? It doesn't matter, whichever day it was. So the burnout pits were going crazy again, and there was still one whole large untouched pizza. So I just grabbed it from the campsite, and I put it – it was definitely Saturday because my voice was shot from doing it the night before. So I put the pizza in the back of it, and I start riding into the burnout pits in the wrong direction. And that lets you know how much the gyro was known around the whole event by this point. Because I'm riding in, and there's people going like, no, 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 you can't go this way, can't go this way, because it's just a sea of humanity, right? Like just drunken... Like it's like the the gates at Bonnaroo. Like you just can't get through. And I managed to get this one guy. I'm like motioning with my hand. Come here. And my voice was like, I mean, what, did I have any voice left on Saturday? No. Right. So you we're basically mute. So I said, I got this guy like real up close. I got in his ear and I was like, I have a pizza for the captain. Right. <laughs> and this guy, I don't know who he was. Just made it his personal mission to get me through the crowd. And he's yelling at people, get the fuck out of the way. This guy, burnout, naked guy's got a pizza for the captain, right? (laughs) And, and the, the, like people are moving and they're like, what the fuck's happening? And they're like, he's got a pizza. All of a sudden there's like 20 people. Like he's got a pizza for the captain Let him through, let him through. So there's this burnout happening. I pull up, the captain turns around, like what the fuck's going on? He sees that it's me and he's like, oh, okay. Let's, let's see where this goes. Right. So I park the, the gyro, uh, the opposite direction kind of next to the bike doing the burnout. I open up the trunk and I pull out this pizza and I, it was like when um, like uh, Rafiki holds up uh, uh, Simba on pride rock and everyone (laughs) cheers. I hold this pizza above my head and everyone's like the weird pizza bike brought a pizza. (laughs) And I start handing out slices of pizza to the crowd and I took the last slice and just shoved the whole thing in the captain's mouth. <laughs> and you would have thought that I was, I was like giving out free, free beers wrapped in hundred dollar bills, right? Like everyone was going completely fucking bananas. And then. And then we showed back up like an hour later. And out of nowhere, I just start walking through the crowd and I'd brought a blow up sex doll. And then, so some guy's doing the burnout and I just throw it on the back seat of the bike. Right. And everyone again goes fucking bananas. And of course, the blow up doll starts getting like, I mean, it was this, this doll was getting groped by like a topless girl at Woodstock 99. Right. This was. This was, I mean, the things that this blow up doll went through. <laughs> no mm-hmm. blow up doll should ever have to go through, and and so like after the first person, like the things getting thrown around, the crowds throwing it around, people are doing lewd things with it, and the captain just did the perfect thing. He goes, "All right, all right, all right, all right." Everyone gets the doll. He's like, bring it back. Everyone who's to. So like, you know, four or five bikes in a row. Like the, it's like, okay, you're going to do a burnout. Then we're, you know, your passenger is going to be this blow up doll. And then some kid took it and like stuck its face into the tire and <sighs> it just immediately deflated. And everyone was like, what did you think was going to happen? This kid got like pushed to the back. They were like, fuck you. Get out of here. <laughs> Why did you have to ruin everyone's fun? um uh every night this year what was new is that the party went until the police shut everything down every night that was interesting that didn't happen before um the crowd almost turned on me when the cop tapped me on the shoulder on friday night and he's like last call like you got one more so i let one more person do the burnout then i was like now we're done And the next guy that was lined up took it real hard and got himself arrested. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. It was good. But uh, more than anything, I'm thinking about ways to kind of bring something to it next year. Because Kentucky Corner, some wild shit happened down there, even just during the afternoons. Uh, so like the beer can slalom challenge was new at least to me this year.
0: I feel like you can only really pull it off after it's rained that really enhanced it.
1: Well I wonder w- well here's the thing though it was pretty muddy there. So remember those guys filled that f350 with a, a tarp and like just made it into a little hot tub right? oh yeah and yeah. then they were driving around with that. I wonder if they let some of the water out of that to to make it muddy earlier. And then that because it was real slick around there.
0: Yeah. I mean I don't think even like if you had filled the 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 whole bed of that truck up, I don't I still don't think that would be enough water to get it muddy enough.
1: Like So so for listeners, the beer can slalom challenge. We're just sitting around on Friday. You know, like the event has just started. It's it's like lunchtime, and Kentucky Corner. I mean, it's a corner, and it's probably this. Probably, what'd you say? A hundred feet long. Oh, uh, what to so the next row? Well, just like the the beer can slalom, like the whole like area taken up by Kentucky Corner is probably like around that corner, a hundred feet. Would you say that or a little less? Yeah. So they'd gotten a bunch of water or whatever, and, you know, it was like lunchtime, whatever. And after the third time, I just heard this voice over a megaphone go, it's the beer can slalom challenge. <laughs> I was like, all right, guys, I, I have to see what this is. We walk over, and they'd wetted the ground somehow. and What well, had rained as well? Uh, I think it was, no, this is pre-rain. I don't think so. I think it rained Saturday morning. Hmm. Maybe it rained Friday. I don't know. But no, it got worse after the rain. This was going on before the rain and then after. I think this was like Friday lunch. But anyway, uh, so it's wet. It's muddy. And they just taken a shit ton of beer cans and placed them about every eight feet and just declared that it was the beer can slalom challenge. (laughs) And so for 100 feet, so you'd start riding around. And so if you came from the south, you would get about 40 feet of a straight shot where in this just ridiculous mud, you had to zigzag through these cans. And then there is an uphill to the left turn. Right. And there were just a bunch of fantastic, like low speed wipeouts in the mud, and just constantly people riding through doing this. And of course, a lot of crushed cans, but there was no shortage of cans to replace it with. Right. Well, I was, uh, it was ideal because the mud, first of all, made
0: crashes a lot more likely to happen, but also there was just so little traction that it was actually kind of safe at the same time. Yeah. It was magical because there's no way to,
1: for the bike to get away from you because there was just no traction to have. This must have been on Friday because I was I was commentating the beer can solemn challenge for like an hour or two. Okay, so <laughs> this is when Liza gave me the disco ball helmet and I just sort of took on a different persona. <laughs> there were a couple good one liners. I don't know if 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 much of that made it to the. Um, to YouTube. It must have by now, but there was a guy on you know some like mini bike or something, an older guy just standing there on the path, just looking at it. And I said to him, I was like, Sir, I, I see you're thinking about doing the bear can solemn challenge, and, and you're kind of nervous, but I just want to assure you, there's zero risk of danger <laughs> doing the beer can slalom challenge. <laughs> oh, it was so magical. Just Because right from then, you sort of understood that, again, okay, officially, we're at mid-Ohio. It has started, and people are going to just start inventing dumb things to do. So, I mean, like, for example, the Cleveland Moto guys usually bring this ramp that they stick in front of their campgrounds. As people are riding around the campgrounds, they'll hit this ramp and get, like, a foot of air as they're just going around. That was missing this year, but to make it legal, they always spray painted on it "not a ramp," because you're not allowed to have a ramp in the campgrounds. But if you explicitly declare that it's not a ramp, well, that's okay. That's more or less how Mid Ohio works. So, I I wonder what other kinds of stupid things we could incorporate. Because next week, the guys that that kind of create Kentucky corner are going to be on the podcast and perhaps even the captain himself. That's, that's what we're trying to put together. We'll see what happens, but I don't know what, what um, let's see. We, we rode around a lot with an inflatable dinosaur outfit. That was good. Um, Yeah. We had the, the gyrosaurus was a thing. (laughs) might have been a thing for a couple rounds of the barrel racing um let's see (laughs) the gyrosaurus the great thing about the gyrosaurus is it has a roof too so the dinosaur so like i had to like ride this thing like leaning really far off to the side (laughs) um the only real damage that the gyro took is while it was riding around as the gyrosaurus. Remember there was that dude on that, like, KDX-200 that was just ripping through the campgrounds after the rain? Yeah. That dude ran into the back of me on the gyro. He didn't break any of the bodywork, but there's, like, a hard rubber, like, you know, his tire print is on the, the back fender. And I've got to go at it with like a magic eraser or something and try to get the tire print off. But there's no dents. There's no scratches from mid Ohio on that thing anywhere.
0: That I don't was know really how,
1: but one of
0: the few guys at mid Ohio that was like a proper dickhead.
1: Yeah. Everyone was saying like, this guy needs to just fucking chill out. That's, you know, blah. but anyway, a great time was had by all. And once again, we have kind of reset and redefined what, the whole experience, the event is. So so next year we we need we need more listeners. We need more everything. We need more traditions. I want to I really want to come up with some things that just kind of become part of the event. Cause you know Haley was Haley said the thing that everyone says the first time you're there is like, well, this event is great, but the event is almost like the least Important part of it. It's all the weird stuff that comes along with it. So, you know, now reliably every evening there's a metal concert. Weird theater. At this point, it's not even barrel racing, it's like barrel race theater. Yeah. (laughs) Right? It's like who can bring the weirdest contraption to to barrel race? Oh, yeah. We got to mention the motorcycle. Well, there are multiple motorcycles. I have too many projects right now, but maybe when I do clear all my projects, we could we could build a boater motorcycle. So the boater motorcycle I have it on good authority is a Honda Elite CH250 with all the bodywork removed, then you cut out the hull of a Sea-Doo and put that on top. And apparently the CH250 is like the perfect bike. I've seen plenty of YouTube builds doing this. Uh, Bergman 400s work really well also, apparently. But you need a a fully CVT scooter to to pull this off. Yeah. Um, Yeah. The motorcycles were great. They were riding two up with their life vests and everything. So good. So good. <laughs> I love that. I but it just like every year at Mid-Ohio there's just weird and wonderful shit. It's just you just see the most insane bikes of every kind. I mean it was constantly Mike and Claire just asking me like what is that? What is that? How does that thing exist? Right? Um a lot of, you know last year I went really hard in the barrel racing. I was just constantly out there just thrashing bikes around. This year, Haley was by far the biggest barrel racing star. And not really by doing anything all that crazy, just by being really fucking fast. Yeah. She just had no fear. She was like, yeah, she's like, you just leave it in second and just fucking you know, just pin it on the straights and then let off with a little bit of rear brake in the turns. And that's it. Just leave it in second and just thrash it. And that's what we did. Cam did it a couple times, but he I don't know he couldn't somehow get that you could just leave it in second and and thrash it. I mean I don't know if if you really dove into that corner, I could see third gear being okay, but I don't know. Anyway, a great time was had by all. Um, let's see, we're at an hour and a half. Do we want to put anything else into this episode? It's almost like how do we? How do we really? We're still. It's been two weeks and we're still kind of decompressing from the experience. Or has it been three weeks?
0: Uh, two and a half. Two and a half. Okay.
1: Yeah. We should save it for next week. Okay. So yeah, our our mid Ohio breakdown. Our high points. Our low points. I mean. I could go on for another eight hours about what happened and not repeat anything from what we did last year because there was also the Kalanapin Ferry. There was... (laughs) (laughs) I I could talk about some of the gnarly accidents that I saw. This year was a big year for injuries. Uh, I think last year people might dial it back a little bit. I, I, overall, I would say this year was marked by a general higher energy level, but less standout events. Yeah, I'd agree with that. L- last year was more okay. Mid Ohio's happening, but then there'd be a couple, you know, people just doing really ridiculous things. Um, yeah, I I think what we need to incorporate into Kentucky Corner for next year, we need to talk to them about just having a bunch of ridiculous movies that we've done commentaries to just more or less constantly playing. And maybe we can just do some live movie commentaries during the afternoon or early evening. Just, just sit there with a bunch of beers and a, and a, a big projector and people can just kind of gather around while we, we talk through some, you know, through night riders, through the dirt bike kid, through, I think Cyclone. just having
0: insane motorcycle movies on just on a constant rotation is a good move.
1: Yeah, but I think we can pick some some opportune moments to pick up the mics and just talk through them as well. Maybe, yeah. I think that would be a good one. Um, all right, so yeah, let's just let's just leave it here. Uh, we we had a pretty good best worst bike, and we have to do our obligatory finish days roundup next week. We have the Louisville Vintage Motorworks podcast guesting with us, we're pretty sure. And I think I'm going to do a book review, because at this point, I've been sent three books for free that we need to review. (laughs) I've got a Ducati book. I've got the... uh, You also haven't
0: handed it over to me to read either.
1: That's true. I need to do that. But we also, a few days ago, got uh, from the same publisher as the Ducati book, a uh, Valentino Rossi biography done in the same illustrated style. It's really good. So we'll be doing some of that. We'll be doing, we've got some interesting topics to discuss. And we I think we're going to do a four round, a four rounder of best worst bike. So look forward to that next week. And I think this is a good time to go out on this episode. You ready swigs? Let's go. All right. And I don't want to die.
0: I just wanna ride on my motor side